Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to The Diana Show. Today, I'm talking with a new friend of mine named Jai Hudson. Hey, Jai. Thanks for being with me. Hey. So I first laid eyes on him at the first protest that I went to, which was the second week of the protests in Huntington Beach. And everything that I have done as far as showing up for peaceful demonstrations or protests or community events, Jai has been there. And he is such an interesting and gregarious and intelligent and has just an amazing story. And so I just want to see if he would talk to me. So I kind of stalked him. And through <laughs> social media, you know, you can get in touch with anyone. So I've, this, is, this is Jai. So, hey, Jai. So tell us about how you, um, where you're from. You're from Huntington Beach, right? Yeah, uh, I'm from Huntington Beach. I was a... Uh... Yeah, and uh, I, I went to school here. I went to elementary school, middle school, high school, community college. Mm-hmm. And um, I play soccer here. I, I coach kids here, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm definitely from out here. I play basketball at their parks. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you, your, you get in you trouble here. Life. and you, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so what um, got you sort of activated recently? What got me activated recently? Yeah, because, uh, I mean, what made you decide that you wanted to start showing up? You said you'd been invited. Right. Well, usually, and, and that's a good question, because usually um, I address what's going on in Long Beach. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't address what's going on in Huntington Beach, because um, I didn't sense that there was, it was time to have a, a mobilizing and overwhelming flow of love on the street to support what I'm saying or mm-hmm. what we've been saying. Cause mm-hmm. we're about one, per- when I say we, uh, I mean, black folks, we're about mm-hmm. 1% in Huntington beach. Mm-hmm. So for 1% to speak up is, is usually a very uh, small voice, especially on main street when there's a lot of belligerent loud voices. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, there was a, it was remarkable to me, even though when I, when I saw a flyer that said, uh, peaceful pro black lives matter, peaceful demonstration, peaceful demonstration, black lives matter, dem- something like that. And, um, I saw the flyer and it only had like three likes on it. <laughs> wow. And I was like, three's enough for me though. Cause like, <laughs> yeah, gotta because I, I was I, I was like, this is incredible because I, I just never seen Huntington Beach have a drop in the bucket against racism. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, that that's basically the reason and all the traction that I needed to, to see that. Because before this moment in history, before mm-hmm. May 31st, 2020, there was, uh, I, I believe, two or one MAGA parades. Mm-hmm. Make America Great parades, mm-hmm. and um, I actually went out to those too. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was six of us to to go and make the uncomfortable conversation, of which didn't exactly happen. Mm-hmm. But I have it all live streamed, mm-hmm. and you know they they spit in our face and called us foul words, and and uh, we did little demonstrations like like taking a knee to when they had the American anthem, the national anthem going. 
Um, and after that, the Magna Parade happened, of which had like they had the skinheads come out. They had the neo-Nazis come out. They had the imperial flags and, and the swastikas all there in masses. So I called the the um, State Department. The mm-hmm. I, I think it's the same thing as calling the police department. But mm-hmm. I asked them to publicly denounce the the racism that came our way. Mm-hmm. You know, as as a mass movement, and they didn't release a statement like they did after May thirty first. Even though they didn't exactly denounce racism, they didn't even almost do that. After hundreds and hundreds of people came down Sunset Beach with all those all those flags and in, in um, so many hate groups organized. So now that we have Black Lives Matter on the pier, we have we have the police trying to make a completely inclusive statement that really represents all lives matter more than it does black lives matter. Mm-hmm. But I think eventually they'll get the point. Mm-hmm. So when I was talking to you the other day, you said you don't like to call, uh, you don't like to call uh, these hate people group. who are, you don't like to call them a hate group. I'm sorry. And you said you like to call them a hate gang. And can you explain mm-hmm. what you mean by that? Well, when when you have a gang, you have an organization of people that, you know, that usually represented as violence and they're disrupted mm-hmm. to a neighborhood. Um, mm-hmm. So if you if you have the terms like bad apple, it doesn't represent someone correctly, especially if they're a murdering police officer. Mm-hmm. So when you say hate group, it makes it soft on, on who they are. And if, if someone does something that's, that's so violent and it splits a neighborhood up, I would like it to be labeled with the same tone and violence that it carries. So mm-hmm. I, I, I do appreciate the, the word hate gang more mm-hmm. than hate group because mm-hmm. I know when they talk about Crips and Bloods, they make sure you know that they're a gang and not a group. Right. And I do feel like like if they if if more Crips were were white, they'd be Crip group. (laughs) (laughs) A Crip group. Yeah. (laughs) So tell me this. So you you told me in my notes I have that you grew up in the Slater area. And you told me some stories last night about growing up Mm -hmm. with some even white folks that were more pop, you felt more poverty stricken than you were. Can you tell right. me a little bit like what it was like to grow up to be 1% of a, a color um, that's represented in this town and what that was like for you for the last 30 some odd years? Right. I mean, to be 1% within a, within a predominantly white um, neighborhood, that has a good amount of Hispanic folks and Asian uh-huh. folks. Uh-huh. Um, it was actually the Filipinos and the Hispanic folks that really took me in uh-huh. and um, without, without preaching racism. Mm-hmm. And they, they, uh, the Filipino folks took me in as family, like straight family. Like I, I'm, I'm a brother to a lot of Filipino folks out here. They, um, when you, when you're 1% of a city, it takes apparently over 30 years to see what justice looks like in public. So all the stories that I have and that this one that finally got caught on camera, 
are not new. Mm-hmm. So, so when I say that, like, when when justice finally comes, like, why do I have to wait for something to go viral to get justice? But mm-hmm. someone like like Chuck Liddell is also on video, and you you can see him running with the police right away. Mm-hmm. Like wh- when I get hit in the face, and I'm telling them that the the police, the SWAT team, the sheriffs, the HBPD. And they're shooting at me. They're shooting at my friends. They tackled my friend for for having elderly, you know, for escorting the elderly folks. But basically, what your question is, how was it like growing up here? So when it, when I grew up here, I I had white folks as, as friends. I have a, have some core best friends as as white folks. You know how white people like to tell you they got their one black friend. That's their best mm-hmm. friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, have, yep. I have my best friends as as white folks. And, um, you know, I, I was raised up as one of them and, and going to school and, um, but they didn't get the type of hatred that I received for random passer buyers. Mm -hmm. And then, but they were all the, the constant trend within my life from a child to a teenager to my early twenties is this, is this waking up of what it's like to be a black person's friend in Huntington Beach. So mm-hmm. so when you're a kid, you get the go home nigga and you get mm-hmm. the um you get to go back to Africa. You get a major mm-hmm. aggression and flex. But as you grow up, you you get muscle on your bones. And that mm-hmm. same flex tends to calm down because you're not a kid anymore. Mm-hmm. And then what your what your friends start to say to you is like, "Wow, Jai, I have never been pulled over this much. Like the yeah. police come everywhere we go, mm-hmm. everywhere they go, everywhere we go, the police come. And if it's not the police, it's these vigilante groups, gangs." that come around and make sure that we're harassed enough to not feel comfortable. So when I have what is called the uncomfortable conversation of Mm -hmm. which I did at city hall that day, that is why that's the results of it. That is Mm -hmm. like having a seed and the roots grow and it grows over ground and you see the stem and the plant and the flower. And that is the uncomfortable truth. Yeah. I, I grew up on 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 two sides of Huntington Beach, and um, one was a was a I would call it the bottom middle class um, apartments of of a community of white folks, mm-hmm. and then the other was was a I would say further than bottom middle class of Hispanic folks, and that's mm-hmm. what we call Slater slums. That's what we mm-hmm. call the Oak the Oakview community. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're, they're two different communities because one community, the Hispanic community, goes outside. They live outside. Yeah. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's something that I miss on the, on the white side of town because people just don't really go outside. There's, mm-hmm. one, there's one house a, a, around me where people are always outside. They happen to all be white folks. So like, uh, it's kind of disappointing. But when we were outside on, on my side of town, 
it would always be gang patrol coming by and, and stopping us. And the only time a fight would come is when someone feels like coming around and calling us the N-word and right. telling us to go back to Compton. Mm-hmm. You know, so like so if it's rooted in that, like the, the police came to my crib one time because um, a guy got socked in the mouth for for coming over and, you know, calling, calling me nigger boy. Mm-hmm. And like my friends didn't appreciate that much. And um, so the police came to my house and they they checked me on on uh, caring about my respect. But I wanted my respect as a human being. You know, and the, it's it's always been tone deaf about asking for that and demanding that is. Mm-hmm. And it, when it comes from the police being tone deaf, you're like, what do you do? And that's why I come with the response like I have to talk to the people. And that's why I was comfortable with going to the peer, because I have to talk to the people because HBPD is not listening. Mm-hmm. Well, let me um, let me ask you this. You would you mind sharing about this the most recent story that you had on the pier where you're escorting in, uh, some elderly folks and kind of plainly tell us about what happened if you could? Okay, um, there's a lady there. She's in a she's in a yellow shirt. She has a yellow shirt and she has a cardboard sign up. Usually, when she's in my video or the video that I'm filming of her, her cardboard sign is actually facing. The police so you don't see that it says black lives matter mm-hmm. but she is always gradually walking and controlling the pace of the police department that's that's okay. gradually pushing us routing us around like sheep and cattle so mm-hmm. we we hit we they route us off of main street and i think we're on seventh or sixth and we're going up six and it's towards the end when people are are routed to basically walk towards their car mm-hmm. and we're, we're going that direction. But all of a sudden, and there's video of this, all of a sudden they're trying to switch up the pace on us. And you see on the mask of the police officer that like he's breathing more heavy. You see the mm-hmm. fog, the, the like steam ha- happening on his thing. So I'm like, there's something going on here. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, can you help her? Can you help her move faster? And my a, immediate response was well, I can't put her on my back. Mm-hmm. What am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. And then my friend Alex, he said he says that um, we're helping we're helping her get to her car. Or she he says that we're helping her. And he didn't say anything disrespectful, as in cussing to police or, or being disrespectful to the police. He was he was saying what was going on. I forget his exact words, but it's on film. Mm-hmm. Um, so. These are these are police. These are the you know when they're dressed in black. That's mm-hmm. HVPD. That's not SWAT. That's not the sheriffs. Then they they switch up the pace, telling us to go faster, and they're trying to push us harder and harder. So we're we're walking, and from the left, SWAT team comes around and tackles my friend. You see me bolt off to the right because they're they all the people in black all have their their guns pointed at me. So I go next to the cars. The real so guns or the, ru- the rubber? No, 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 no. The, the rubber bullet, the rubber bullet guns, whether uh-huh. they're rubber bullet guns or, or pepper pellets, I don't know. Okay. But they were all collectively pointed at me. And I was like, this is going to hurt. That's so, <laughs> so scary. Yeah. And like they're really close to me. So like I, I made distance, you know, physically distance is important right now because I don't want to catch COVID. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I, I stand next to the cars. So if they hit me, if they miss me, they got to hit the cars. And I filmed them and my friend getting stomped. Like he's uh, being, he's thrown to the ground. I think there's a knee to his head. And then um, the front view of it, the, the SWAT team lines up to block the camera view of um, what's going on. But we have the pictures of his face. It is bruises on his face, his shoulders and his knees. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what happened to the lady. Mm -hmm. I don't know what happened to the lady. So our mission of protecting that lady, I believe, was unsuccessful, but it was in good intentions. Mm -hmm. And she was an elderly lady and we didn't want to see her get hurt. Mm -hmm. So then you had told me last night that you felt like there was some hate gang type people that kind of went around the police and hit you. Was that right. during the same time? um okay that that was the time that i asked the guy for an apology when he hit me it was it was like five hours earlier and it was before the police even came onto the scene oh okay so these are two separate incidents right the um well three if you're if you're talking about the elderly lady but yeah there's two separate incidents there's there's he hits me before anything happens. Um, and then I believe it was either before or after that uh, pepper spray happens. And uh, the same guy that approaches me with the glasses says, if a business burns, I'm going to burn you. Uh, do we say, do you say bad words on this? <laughs> you can, yeah. Okay, so he, he points in my face and he says, I'm going to burn you, motherfucker. And then that's when the guy comes around and, and, and no, uh, what happens? Oh, my God. It's all on video. Uh, there's, there's multiple people that, that swing at me and there's a man with a flag that's separating the white supremacists in between both of us. And, um, and then when they, when they get done attacking me, there's another man that comes around and hits me in the face. Mm. And then that's why I pursue like five hours later, I, I find him on the corner and ask for the apology. And he denies that. And then we find out that he's from the proud boys of which after the city council speech, Facebook has now deactivated accounts from them organizing two counter protests against Black Lives Matter organizations across the nation. What are Proud Boys? That's a gang. That's a, that's a that's a that's one of the hate gangs that are trying to they they have been they're white supremacists. Okay. And they're uh they have been exposed as posing as what is called what they call Antifa. And they've been putting out the message that has the community fearing what we will do, what Black Lives Matter protesters will do to them and their community. Mm -hmm. So basically, the people have been played and it's slowly being exposed. Mm -hmm. Whew. This is totally off topic, but have you ever thought about... <laughs> all of this that you've grown up with and all of the uh, um, 
all of the aggression and then the weekends doing this and like what the effect is on your health long-term. Yeah. Yeah. um, Yeah. But so when it it comes worth it, it's obviously worth it. No, you're doing it, but I got a picture from a friend that I interviewed the other day. I, I call everyone my friend because after we talk for an hour, then we're friends. I always feel like, but um, <laughs> yeah. he sent me a picture of his dad walking in Tulsa in the, I believe it was like the sixties and it's this beautiful picture. Um, he met Martin Luther King Jr. And you know, the guy's heritage is very rich and he sent it to me after we'd had a long conversation and, I got the picture at like 10 at night and I was tired. I was emotionally spent. I'd cried a couple times that day hearing these stories. And I thought about, you know, the pictures that I have of my grandparents who are white. Um, and in the fifties and sixties, the pictures I have of my grandparents, they're sitting by a pool, smoking a cigarette, having a drink, eating chips and dips. And they aren't spending their weekends, their off time from work. Um, well, poor little girl. They aren't spending their weekends um, protesting. And so you, you are descended from a group of people that have had to spend their off time, their downtime after they work long hours during the week trying to get this message across for generations and generations and generations. And it just seems like it's exhausting and it's unfair that you're put in a position where you can't just enjoy your downtime. Um, Yeah. I mean, then that's just like one piece of a big old puzzle of inequality, but it seems so unfair to me that, that, you know, that the self-care and the rest and um, the peace that everyone should have is denied. And has been denied like yeah. that for generations. Makes me it, so it bums me out. The, what did you say at the end? It bums me out that that's the case. Right. So there's a there's no days off. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's there's, there's definitely no days off when it comes to my mental health. Yep. Like I <laughs> I do I see a police officer and and. And I, I try my best not to be in their line of vision. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is it is traumatizing because uh, there's been way too many episodes of uh, terrible encounters within my life with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there there has been uh, constructive encounters with um, when it comes to the system trying their best to um to not be tone deaf Mm -hmm. and that's what i appreciate is when they're not when they're not tone deaf about Mm -hmm. racism about systemic racism Mm -hmm. um but when it comes to my health there's there's you already know there's two viruses there's Mm -hmm. uh there's racism and there's there's the pandemic Mm -hmm. there's uh covid19 and right now during this during this uh, pandemic, I've also been trying to get through to people that not only is 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 social or not social distancing, but physical distancing away, 
but also you have to address deforestation. When you um when you chop down the forest in in Brazil and the bats you know come out and they right. move the virus, that's also something that's supposed to be looked at. So that there's this um, man. There's this man, uh, there's this organization called Predict that was studying that. And they were uh, they were taken down by Trump, the organization. They, they, they were found to be not relevant. And then the virus comes. But why I say this is because it's all connected. My friend, my friend Mac from the jungle out in L.A., you know, he, he used to tell me I used to have locks, right? And he used to mm-hmm. tell me that that my locks are are in the same rotation of the spiral of the earth. He said my my skin is the color of earth. So when I say that we are a one whole body, we're not absent from the earth. That that's mm-hmm. a part of us too. So we're mm-hmm. trying not only to to fight f- against systematic um, systemic racism. But we're trying to help planet Earth. <laughs> like, like we're, that is that is so it's not a coincidence that we have the virus that comes from bats moving out of a forest for us chopping it down. And we, we had that when people cared about that, that burning of the Amazon before the virus happened. And then the virus happened mm-hmm. and we have racism at the same time because mm-hmm. the forest helps us breathe. We're saying mm-hmm. I can't breathe during this too. You know, racism yeah. and what's going on are both about health and they're, it's all connected. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm worried. Uh, like I, I know it, it definitely does take, um, a toll on my health. I, I came out the ER a week after I got punched because I, I was denying that, like, you know, I, I didn't have a concussion or, you know, uh, I, and I was overexhausted from being out all the time. And I, and before that I was trying my best to physically distance myself, but it's just, we can't wait anymore. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you a question about what your opinion is on why people are hateful or want to target black people? Why would a white person join something called a proud boy? Why would mm. a white supremacist come about? And you, you probably know the answer better than I do or, or have a stronger opinion because I really can't relate. <laughs> I can't. Well, I, mean, I can't. Uh, I think that they do have their thing called the 14 letters, which is, um, you know, I don't, I don't have it branded in my mind. I don't want to remember it, but Mm -hmm. the basis is to preserve white culture and the Mm -hmm. white status quo. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you are, um, when you see people loving black folks Mm -hmm. and you hate black folks because you want to keep a certain status quo and, and power structure, you see it as a threat to your, not only your culture, but you're, you're losing justice that helps you more than what they call minority. Mm -hmm. 
So power shifts. Um, I also believe that people get radicalized and they, they, they want to fight for something either because they're bored and they don't have, <laughs> they don't have any other thing to do. Mm-hmm. But I think the main, they want the number like they want to belong. Yeah. Every, everybody wants to, wants to fit in into some kind of group, right. like whether it's from sports or, or social movements from things that they believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to get behind something. Right. I want to get behind love. They want to get behind hate. It's about as simple as that. But I think that I do think that the bottom core value is when it comes to the working class world, that they don't want to feel any type of inferior. They don't want to feel like like how they treat black folks. Mm-hmm. They, they just they want to avoid that for as long as possible. They don't want to deal with uh, the conditioning of slavery, which mm-hmm. is being maladjusted to injustice. OK, speak about that a little bit more maladjusted to injustice. You, to be well conditioned, to be you're, you're being conditioned towards your your seed of hate and you're watering that plant instead of a seed of love. So love is what Dr. Cornel West calls justice. He says, love is what justice looks like in public. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have that love in public, then you do have what's maladjusted to injustice. You don't, you don't have the, the core values of wanting to make progress in an inclusive fashion. It's more mm-hmm. of a segregated fashion. Mm-hmm. So if, there, if, we were, if we were to do the opposite of that, it would look like the love that was the peaceful demonstration of um, the Black Lives Matter folks of all colors and, and backgrounds. Um, but it would come with the police denouncing racism, denouncing white supremacy, addressing hate crimes, you know, bringing law in in place, seeing that they can deal with white supremacists by having <laughs> the model that they deal with black folks. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's it's very simple, but it's it's hard to detach from a subscription that you've subscribed to for 400 years. Well, I thought, speaking to that, I thought last night having the conversation between you and Jen and you talking about the, you know, many times that you've been pulled over here in Huntington and you were explaining the time that you ran. And when we got home, when Thomas and I got home and after Jen left, we were talking about it. And it, it's so foreign to us to think, because Thomas got arrested um, while he was drunk and he, you know, he's pretty mouthy when he's drunk. And so I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if you didn't get out of that. I've never been arrested, but neither one of us could have ever imagined running. I'd be afraid to run. But I thought it was so interesting that you and Jen both said, I'd be afraid not to run because of the trauma that you've seen 
with your family members and, you know, people who look like you that don't fare well when they come up against police officers. And it's pretty evident too, you know, there's a video going around with a little boy out playing basketball and he, you know, he hides behind his parents SUV when the police go by. And I don't feel that. I mean, I live literally right behind the police station and I don't feel that way. The only thing I feel is annoyed with the police because they drive down my street really fast when they get a call. But other than that, I feel like waving at them when they go by. And I think we all deserve to feel like we have that relationship with the authorities and law enforcement that we're paying our tax money. We all should feel that way. Mm -hmm. I would be livid if I came down and my 18 year old had been pulled over for something to do with, you know, what'd you say it was a light over a license plate that you got pulled over for Yeah, and they... to have a police officer being overly aggressive and scaring him enough to make him feel like he had to run. I would, I would, I would, I don't know. I mean, I don't even know how I would handle that. That'd be hard to watch, but my family's never been treated like that. And see, that's one of the reasons that I'm so motivated to have conversations between someone who sounds like me looks like me and sounds like you and looks like you, because I think there's a lot of people like me who don't even realize that that's, that's not a, that's not a once in a lifetime thing. It sounds like that happened to you a lot. Yeah, it's definitely very common. If, um, if you, if there was a camera on my life, there'd be many instances of, uh, me doing what I've done. I, now that I think of it, I can't believe how many times I've I've ran from them. Like there's there's That's actually a, there's actually many and not only like a long time ago. I literally just told you an instance where I ran from them. Yeah, and it's on video. That that was what a week ago, like maybe two or, or what is that? That was no two weeks ago or something. It was May thirty first. I, I just ran protest. from them. <laughs> I just ran yeah. from them. You know, because what? like it's not only because it's it's for two main reasons. Number one, you don't want to die. Sure. And it, it's for it's for any instances of of being able to die, not only from getting shot, but how they're gonna treat you in the car, how they're gonna treat you when they got you caged up. You know, like there's there's too many there's too many options that they get to make a quote unquote mistake. And um, yeah, it's terrifying. And it, yeah. I can imagine that would be terrifying. But Have number two, Oh, go ahead. But number two is because you don't want to be a product of the system. Yeah. That's the, that's the other reason you run is because when you're a product of this system while black, then you get appropriated oppression. Mm-hmm. And that's all, that's like being double black. <laughs> right. That, that's a very hard life. Like it, for you to actually come up out of poverty and reach a comfortable lifestyle, it, it's just too hard with the system that we got because the, the, the court is much harder on black folks than it is on, on white folks. And that's obvious. They don't, when you have a white judge looking at you, they don't see their son. Right. That concludes the first out of three episodes with Jai Hudson. And this ending, we, you can hear he's kind of passionate um, and rightly so. I know for me, I have actually 
come against police officers for moving violations and then also um, some things in my youth that I ended up having to go to court for. And every single time I feel like I was treated way more than fairly. Um, I remember my mom dressed me up and made me wear what's called a Peter Pan collar and, you know, really wanted me to look like I was as innocent as possible. And I ended up, the judge ended up hearing our story and nothing happened to me. Um, so if you, if you've ever, if you've never come up against the system and felt like you or some of your family members were treated unfairly, I literally don't know anyone in my immediate family or friends that feel like they've ever come up this against the system and been treated unfairly. And that's one of the reasons that I think it's so interesting to have these kind of conversations between someone like me and someone who feels like they have not been treated fairly by the system and are afraid of what the system might put them through if they ever did come up them. So afraid, in fact, that they would run. So um, I've always wanted to ask that, like what would make someone run from a police officer? And that's the story. So please subscribe. Uh, He'll have uh, number two out of three coming up and then three out of three right after that. Thank you for listening. hasn't changed in 20 years no has not uh-uh. been 20 years holy cannolis that's crazy to me 20 years that went by in a flash huh in a flash yes yeah oh well i i have such fond and special memories of you i had two special katie's in my life you were my katie in georgia and then i had a katie in huntington who kind of ran the show for me at that salon Oh, nice. And um, both very similar girls. She's a social worker now and just, she's just a super neat person. Really good girl. So anyway, it sounds like you have um, a lot to tell me about. (laughs) I do. Where do I start? Well, okay. So the way that this podcast works is that I'm actually recording right now, but I'll Mm -hmm. splice, splice all this off. Okay. And so what I'll do is I'll just introduce you briefly. Um, you want to be Katie Bishop Conklin. Is that how you say it, Conklin? Yeah, Conklin. It doesn't matter. I haven't legally changed my name, but people know me as both. Okay. And um, your husband's name? Brogan. 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 And I know, I mean, I know your whole story because I don't, well, I don't know the whole thing, but I've been watching... I know enough to lead you through the story so you don't miss any parts. And then I thought what would be so cool, because I've just been doing a ton of Black Black Lives Matter stuff, which is super important, but I thought it would be super great to just hear this sort of redemption story and what's happening for you in just like a month, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, 32-week ultrasound was today, so 
let's say yeah. two months, <laughs> two months. Okay. Two more months. And, um, yeah, so that's it. So I don't want to talk to you too much more just because I'm afraid we're going to dive into conversation right. and I want to have recorded. So that's all. Do you have any questions for me about how it works? No, far away. I'm an open book. Okay. So what I'll do is I'll inter- I'll briefly introduce you, then we'll start talking and then we'll end. And then what I do is I edit it. If you could send me some um, pictures, like I, I remember oh, yeah. there were some pretty striking wedding pictures with your head shaved. Yeah, I can um, send you those. I can you send have you a few different, different, um, like different events. Yeah. If you have a picture of you and your sis with her belly or oh, anything like that. And then as far as Instagram, are you, you okay with me linking? Oh yeah. Instagram? Okay. Totally. And then how about her? Is she okay with that? Or Jenny? She... Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. She's, she's pretty, she's pretty open or you can just tag her in it. Yeah. Okay. And it's Jenny L. Bishop, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. And tell me your niece's name. Hunter. That's right. Because you've been like her biggest auntie fan. I've mm-hmm. seen her. So cute. Okay, cool. All right. All right. So I'm just going to do like a five second break and then I'm going to start you up. Okay. Okay. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Diana Show. I am super excited about talking to this woman. This is Katie Bishop Conklin, and she has an incredible story of just the spice of life and what we go through to get where we're going and keeping a positive attitude about it. So I kind of don't want to tell any of the story. I want to hear the whole thing in Katie's (laughs) voice, but it's an incredible story, and I'm so excited to hear it. So without further ado, this is Miss Katie. Hi. Hi, Katie girl. So tell me... um, I knew you 20 years ago, Mm -hmm. fast forward, you know, what, 15 years, you were single 15 Uh years ago. Okay. So five years ago, you're a single girl. You're cruising along. You're a real estate agent. Mm -hmm. 15 years. I've been selling real estate, but yes, I was single just a short five years ago. And then my dream boat walked into my life. (laughs) And he is hilarious and handsome and all the greatest things. He's pretty funny. I'll, I'll give him that. He's pretty funny. Tell me how you met him. Um, he is actually my two best friends in Chicago are both from his hometown in Kansas. Super uh-huh. random. We were not set up. Nobody thought that we would really be a match. They, um, he'll, he'll laugh at this, but they all thought that there's no way that I would go for Brogan Conklin. So nobody set us up, but we were at a birthday party, all of us. And it just so happened everybody got a little tipsy and we didn't so we all went out to dinner four of us and Brogan asked me out to go to dinner by myself later that night and I was like what what does this mean and then we started dating and then we're here we are expecting a baby oh so fill us in on what happened in between so you start dating because I remember starting to see pictures of him and I was like okay yeah she has found her dude because he's first of all he's super handsome Super handsome. He's got a great beard. He's known for his beard. I've never seen him without a beard. So if he ever shaves it and walks in our house, I'll be scared. Yeah. Scared to death. But yeah, so 2015, we started dating. And let's see, 2016, we got engaged. Mm -hmm. Had no idea. I had zero, zero idea. But my sister, luckily, was running the show behind the scenes Mm -hmm. with Brogan. 
Mm -hmm. So we get engaged uh, like December 23rd, 2016, and March 28th, 2017, I kind of threw a wrench into the whole whole program of life, and I had a seizure, what they call a grand mal seizure, and Mm -hmm. I uh, hit the tub, the the porcelain tub with the front of my my forehead. And then I fell backwards and I hit my head on the toilet. And then Mm. I crawled into my second bedroom and I got under the covers while I was fully head to toe dressed for work. And Mm -hmm. I woke up about 25 minutes later. I went to the hospital. My sister came and picked me up, Brogan Metis at the hospital. And yeah, they came in and said, there's a big, large mass in your head and we're going to need to fast track you up to the to the MRI floor, you get to pass all people in line. Mm. And then I got admitted to the 10th floor at Northwestern where nobody wants to be admitted. That is the brain tumor floor. Wow. Yeah. Brain tumor and- floor. And I, I don't really, I have to be honest, I don't really remember kind of being admitted to the hospital. It was such a, it was such a blur. There were a lot of people around. My sister obviously was there. My Brogan, who my fiance at the time, um, my mom's best friend drove her up from Peoria. I mean, I think probably 15 of my closest best girlfriends were there. Mm -hmm. And then I saw my dad walk in. And that's when I knew that things were pretty serious because he lives in California and Colorado. And I see him very rarely. Mm -hmm. And he was in the middle of the desert driving to Las Vegas and Mm -hmm. he pulled over and went to the airport and flew to Chicago. Mm. And then things got real for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wow. It was a blur. It was a lot to take it, take in. Well, I watched the whole thing on social media and I I'm sure I only got the highlight reel. So you were diagnosed in 2017 Mm -hmm. and, um, then all of a sudden I would see these like Wonder Woman shirts on a whole bunch of people <laughs> and you guys were doing fundraising, right? Yeah. So it just so happened that 2017 when we were sitting in the hospital, Jenny um, kind of became like my real estate assistant. She was answering emails and Brogan was doing behind the scenes, like learning how to be an MD overnight. And they set up a Facebook page just because it was so much easier to like send out updates and tell everybody mm-hmm. what, was, what was going on. And they quickly named it Team KBC because those are my initials. I haven't legally changed my name yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but they set up Team KBC, and all of a sudden we had like 1,200, 1200 wow. people, people in the group. And so it kind of alleviated like people texting my sister and Brogan at the same time. And the Wonder Woman movie was coming out. So oh. I got to say, I, I like, I hit a good time, you know. Um, <laughs> So Wonder Woman became like, I don't know who started it, but all of a sudden we had Wonder Woman socks. I have a signed photograph from the original Wonder Woman and Mm -hmm. some of her CDs. Uh, I mean, it just became this thing. So Mm -hmm. I just ran, I just ran with it. That's so cool. Yeah. So how was treatment for you? Treatment, honestly, um, I'm not trying to downplay. I've watched my mom go through five years of chemo. She had stage four aggressive um, uterine cancer. Uh And I've seen all types of chemo. But for brain cancer, there's only one type. It's called Temadar. And it is a pill. Um, So it's quite not 
suppose. I didn't have to go to the hospital to get an IV, sit on the cancer floor, none of that. Right. I took a pill every day, seven days a week for six. In the meantime, at the same time, I was going into the hospital every day at 1045 a.m. for a six-minute radiation treatment. Mm-hmm. And that was just five days a week for those six weeks. So mm-hmm. the chemo wasn't too bad. I mean, I really didn't have any side effects. The radiation made me really tired. I took a solid two-hour nap every afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, I, of course, lost my hair, not the entire head of hair because that would be from chemo. I lost it from radiation. So that's why I have two-thirds two thirds of a head of hair. And yes. one-third is never going to grow back. I call that my grandpa side because it's like it's just kind of fuzzy and gray. <laughs> oh yeah first time that I'm not coloring my hair in a long time so you know um the treatment really wasn't that bad and then I took a break for a month they like you to take a break and kind of give your body a little bit of rest um hopefully gain a little bit of weight I did not I was very thin during during treatment and then you go back and do six more months of chemo so again not going back to the hospital it was really nice I just took the pill and I went about my, went about my life. And aside from being sleepy, did you have any other side effects? I lost my, um, not lost my vision totally, but my vision was impaired for a little while post, um, surgery. So really early on after diagnosis, um, it's totally typical and it it came back. Um, it was really hard to really hard to focus. I didn't even enjoy watching TV because too much movement, like I couldn't follow Mm -hmm. everything that was going on. Um, I don't know what this is called, but the only way to explain it is if I looked at you and you had on a plaid shirt, if I looked at the wall next, the plaid would transfer. Oh, wow. It was very, very strange. Yeah. But that went away quickly. You can't drive in Illinois for six months after you've had a seizure where you're unconscious. So mm-hmm. I did not drive for six months, which as you know, as a real estate agent is my whole world and my life mm-hmm. and my office. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, my vision came back pretty, pretty quickly. I'd say like two or three months. It was really hard. You're going to laugh, but it was really hard for me to paint my own nails. And that is, one of, sure. that is one of my, my pleasures in life is to do my, do my fingernails. So I, uh, I had to give that a break for a little while until my vision came back. I can't have sloppy nails. Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's adorable. Okay. So <laughs> did you and Brogan ever have like a moment where he's, I mean, like, what was it like between the two of you? He is, um, pretty much the most calm, most grounded. I mean, he's wickedly funny and he can be a total goofball. I almost Mm -hmm. said a bad word, but I don't know who your audience is. Um, (laughs) he can be a total goofball, but he is very calm and he's very grounding for me where I am like, can be a total and utter spaz. Mm -hmm. Um, I, he was pretty cool and calm and collected. But again, I was kind of relegated to my hospital bed. Um, that first 24 hours, I wasn't like walking around, even though I could, I mean, everybody was treating me with like kid gloves, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, what he did outside of the hospital room with my sister, I think there were some tough moments. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when my dad walked in the hospital room, they had a, a conversation and he obviously had already asked my dad for, you know, my hand in marriage, I suppose is what you say. And he told my dad that he was, that we could easily go down to the chapel. He was ready to get married that day. Mm. Um, and it was his 33rd birthday the next day. 
So he sat on a red biohazard bin in my hospital room and he ate a piece of birthday cake thanks to my girlfriends who brought it for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just a go with the flow. Like he does, his feathers do not get ruffled very often. Mm. But he was, he was scared, totally scared. Yeah, I bet. It makes me, it, I'm trying not to cry. <laughs> I know. It like <laughs> takes me right back there. I can see the hospital room and some of the photo, you know, I don't remember all of it, but then I look back at photos and I just think, oh my God. I mean, I was admitted to the hospital at, let's say, 3 p.m. And I yeah. had surgery the next day at 5.45 a.m. And then wow. I was in ICU for, I think, a day and a half. So no one could see me except for, I think my mom or Brogan was in there with me. And then I was back to my regular hospital room. Wow. And what did the doctors say? I mean, like, what was the prognosis after they had the tumor removed? Well, you know, like, it was kind of like a TV show. I guess my sister would describe it as they, everybody was in the waiting room and Dr. Block came out and he was really, you know, he was amazing. Um, I have issues with him, but as a surgeon, he's certainly amazing. And he made a comment that he thought that possibly the tumor was going to be a two. It definitely wasn't a one. And, you know, tumor brain tumors are grades they're not stages like breast cancer or uterine cancer okay so, so what anything you past what those are? yeah one is basically like benign um mm-hmm. two could be cancerous uh you typically don't do radiation or chemo you might just be watching it three is probably chemo or and or radiation not both and then grade four, you know, I always like to be the best at whatever I do. Um, I had to be grade four and that gets you a spot of chemo and radiation. And, you know, they, they ha- it was a gross total resection is what they call the surgery. So that's 99%, 99.9% of what they can see has been removed. And that's mm-hmm. amazing. It was really close to the skull, which is a positive. It was encapsulated. So it didn't have little fingers going, you know, in a million different directions. That's mm-hmm. good. And then once they ran pathology, which took 11 long, excruciating days to get the results back, I was a four. I had all the positive, positive characteristics of a really horrific diagnosis. So that meant that I was going to respond really well to treatment. Um, And, you know, like, what more can you ask for? You've got a shitty situation and now you've got all of the positive characteristics. So. I was very thankful for that. You know, I had a lot going for me in terms of being a glioblastoma patient. Mm -hmm. So you went through all of that. You did the fundraising. You obviously have a huge community of people who love, adore you, support you. I do. I'm really lucky. Very lucky. And then I saw some gorgeous photos of your wedding. Yeah. So they, you know, our our wedding date was originally going to be June 9th. 2017 in Charleston, South Carolina, we had everything planned and then I derailed that. And we just kind of naively thought it's kind of nice to be in that naive um, stage Mm. of diagnosis Mm. where you're like, this is going to be totally easy. We'll just fly down to South Carolina and we'll have our little wedding. And -hmm. of course the doctors were like, um, no, probably not. Probably not a great idea. You're going to be exhausted. Your body's going to be run down. So we put everything on hold. Every single vendor was exceptional to work with. They said, tell us your new date. We'll be there. We'll be ready for you. So we did not tell anyone 
but we went to the courthouse on June 9th. Um, actually, my par- my dad and my stepmom were in town, and we did not tell them. And my sister and my brother-in-law and Brogan and I secretly went to the courthouse. We had dinner at our favorite super chill Italian neighborhood restaurant in Bucktown. And mm-hmm. we just, that was the only thing we could be in control of was going to the courthouse and getting married. And then we, we had our and big what, wedding. What was the date that you went to the courthouse? June 9th. We, we kept it. We of kept 2017? It because, yeah, 2017. Oh. Yeah. I have a. I have it tattooed on my ring finger. It's a six Aww. if you look at it one way, and it's a nine if you look at it the other way. So June ninth, <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. So you went, and then you had your big wedding. That that's where all the pictures were. Yes, we had our big wedding in October. So I was, I was done with. Oh no, I take that back. I was not done with treatment, but I was just doing chemo. So it was perfectly planned that it was like during the week that I wasn't on chemo, so I'd feel pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so October we went down, there were like 60, I think 60 people at our wedding, which was perfect size. And it was like a long four day, just crazy, fun, casual. We got married on a Friday night, which is definitely different. We had just kind of rented out, uh, not rented. We had a reservation for as many people as we could at Husk restaurant the night before there was really no, no rehearsal dinner. I didn't have any bridesmaids, just my sister. Um, so it was just, definitely different it was exactly how we we wanted it to be and mm-hmm. we got married on Friday night and I think everyone's favorite day was probably the day after at the pool at the hotel and then we oh. had a pig roast oh how cool. in jeans you know it just was like it was very very okay. relaxed yeah. yeah and just a celebration of the two of you yeah that's so awesome it was fun so so you guys got married and then there you guys have cooked up something new there's something new coming we tried to cook this up for a while um before I met Brogan I thought I was being super smart and at 30 at age 34 I had my I froze my eggs I did an egg retrieval and I got 10 eggs froze them you know they shipped them off to Minnesota literally I guess you know it's colder up there so it keeps Mm -hmm. them on ice and um, then I met Brogan and had a brain tumor and Dr. Block looked at us when he gave us the diagnosis and said, well, we should probably talk about fertility. And I, you know, I thought, oh, finally I've done something right. I, I planned for this mm-hmm. and I had 10 eggs and there was not another woman doctor in the room to say, oh, that's not so many. Let's do another retrieval while you, you know, wait for treatment. So we just went ahead, um, None of those 10 eggs, we got two embryos, but they were genetically abnormal. And so then we went through three more egg retrievals out in Colorado. We went to CCRM, which is a pretty world-renowned fertility center, infertility center, excuse me. And, oh my gosh, out of three retrievals, we basically were down to two eggs. The first transfer to my sister was a chemical pregnancy. It did not take, but Mm -hmm. she got a very low low number. And then we were basically down to one egg and it worked. It worked. It worked. 32 okay, weeks. So, this so week. wait, 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 back up. So <laughs> you, so you went to an infertility place. Yes. You were wise enough to, before you met your husband, mm-hmm. you froze your eggs mm-hmm. at 34 of those 10 eggs. Most of them didn't work, but you got down to one. And now who is carrying your baby? 
Well, we're some would say we're twins, but we're really just sisters. Um, my older sister Jenny is forty three, and she, uh, without even thinking or consulting her husband, <laughs> volunteered to carry our baby. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. And I know from experience, when she walks in, they say, you are of advanced maternal age. Oh, yeah. She's high risk in all forms of high risk. You know, she's a surrogate. She's 43. Um, I mean, you, you name it. We've got it. <laughs> and how's her pregnancy going? It's great. She's really, uh, she had a really easy pregnancy with Hunter, who's my niece is almost nine years old. So Jenny was mm -hmm. pregnant nine years ago. Mm -hmm. And she's had a, I mean, you know, she's had a few moments, like not feeling great, but I mean, for the most part, I see her like on the weekends, I go up to her house in the suburbs and she's like on all fours gardening. I mean, she's just, wow. she doesn't stop. She feels really good. And we just had the 32 week ultrasound today. Wow. So, I know. so amazing. So amazing. Do you know what the sex is of the baby? We are having a boy. <gasps> A boy! Oh my gosh! Yep. That's now so I'm gonna amazing. have two boy mouths to feed. Oh boy. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if he'll have your husband's enormously <laughs> funny personality. Please let him have that personality. <laughs> I mean, come on, Diana. I'm pretty funny myself, but Brogan, you are. Brogan you are gets like... the Brogan gets the Instagram. You know, uh, time yeah. on Instagram. We don't have many videos of me being funny. I'll work That's on hilarious. that. <laughs> yeah. I know. I always thought I was a funny person. And then I married my husband. And now I'm kind of the straight man in the house where I'm like, okay, guys, that's enough. <laughs> totally. Settle down. It's 930. <laughs> Mommy needs to go to bed, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, He's but that's the he'll be fun the fun. Person. He'll be the fun parent for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I saw his picture holding up the onesie for Father's Day. Oh, so hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So hilarious. We have, so, we already have two, two drawers of, um, uh, his dresser filled with clothes that have been like barely worn clothes that people, you know, our friends, our boy mom friends have given us. So yeah, I'm, I'm not buying a single piece of clothing for this baby. I'm sure you're going to be all set. <laughs> My kiddos. So you remember, I, yeah. Did you, did you meet Cooper? I, I think I've met him maybe once when he was little, but he certainly was not six, five or six, seven, whatever he is now. Yeah. Um, he's 18 now. And I so, know. you so know, crazy. we had Cooper and Scarlett and then we adopted Mia and mm -hmm. then I married Thomas and I acquired Erilyn. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and then we had the baby and, um, Lincoln, right? Lincoln. Yeah. Yes. When I became pregnant with the baby, um, of, so I have a whole bunch of family up in Northern California and of that generation of cousins, Cooper is the oldest cousin. And then there's, I think, I think 17 total Oh my! and gosh. Lincoln is the youngest. So we've never bought any clothes for her because my one cousin has four daughters that are just a little bit older than Lincoln. And so everything gets passed down and oh, we have course. like, we end up having to pass on a lot of the stuff. Too much. Out of clothes. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, well, that is such a great story of redemption. I mean, did you ever think that you were going to be like in all your life where you're like, oh, I might have no. cancer, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you watched your mom go through it. Did you ever feel like, wow, what would happen if this happened to me? I just, I, yeah, I had no idea. I mean, my mom was diagnosed in 2014 and 
again, going back to that, it's a really safe place to be naive. Um, mm-hmm. She like bat, she would battle for a year and just stay, fly through chemo and never complain, never miss a beat. She never missed work in the five years that she was um, on chemo. And mm. then the warrior, a I mean, warrior. she a true warrior. I come from a solid stock of really strong women. Do not mess with, do not mess with us. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I watched her go through it and both my sister and I did. And, you know, I always thought like, I'm really healthy. I don't smoke. I don't, you know, do drugs. Mm-hmm. I exercise. I'm not overweight. And it's like, yeah, you're just probably pretty averagely healthy, but you yeah. know, I, I have a lot now. I have too many brain tumors in my life that have originated in my hometown and I'm pretty close to hiring like an Aaron Brockovich attorney to sort this out because there's just too many it's a small town like 80,000 and I feel like I can name five people that I know that have had pretty serious brain tumors I'm sure there's these are just people I know just people you know that's Mm -hmm. incredible yeah I saw on one of your posts um, I can't remember which one, but you said something to the effect of you just never try to let it, you never let no. a day go by that you're not grateful for your health yeah. and your life. Yeah. I mean, I just, you, it, it, we came up, we came up with this motto early on. I think it was when we were posting and like writing, I wrote the formal like announcement. This is what the doctor said. I have glioblastoma. I'm going to start this treatment, blah, blah, blah. And at the end, I just like, without thinking, I just typed, you guys, I'm not done here. Like, this isn't, Mm -hmm. not the end. And so that was Team KBC's motto was, I mean, I'm looking at my sticker that's on my computer. My stickers are all over Chicago. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Team KBC, I'm not done here. Um, And, you know, it was like, my sister just looked at me, we were in the hospital room. And it's, this is, this is one time where it's like, I wish we were kind of the Kardashians and there was always a camera filming, but you yeah. know, we got this diagnosis. My mom's sitting there, my brother-in-law's there, my husband's there, my sister's there. And we got the diagnosis. We were all just shell shocked. And then Jenny literally looked at everyone and was like, we need a minute. And like, without even questioning, my mom got up, my husband got up and Jenny just, we sat next to each other and she just looked at me and she was like, this is, you are not fucking leaving me. You are not leaving me. This is, we're not doing this. And like right there, you know, we just like, we're holding hands. We're like, nope, we're going to do, we're, this is, we cannot lose each other. So that's not going to happen. No other, no other option. Yeah. So, I mean, that's something that is so notable when you watch your story is your sister and your sister always, even when I knew you, when you were just in college, Oh yeah. your sister always was this rock oh, in yeah. your life. And yeah, you, she was always a big theme. I always remember hearing about her, how awesome she was. Oh, for sure. And, um, you know, when you're in college and you're going through those four years and like, it seems so encapsulated and it's like, everything is such a big deal. But now that you've, <laughs> you're 20 years down the road, a lot of other stuff happens, but I just remember that Jenny was a big deal to you then as well. Oh yeah. I mean, we've just, we just, I mean, my mom said it in our, in my wedding video, you know, they've just always, they're thick as thieves. They love real hard. They fight real hard. They can be, you know, kicking and screaming. And then the next minute rolling on the floor, we tend to wet our pants. I mean, I know I'm like 40 <laughs> years old and I can't control my bladder, but you know, we tend to like wet our pants together. I mean, we finish it's each normal. other's sentences. Yeah. We finish yeah, each other's sentences. Also, we look alike. 
you show up in the same outfit sometimes. Oh, all I've the seen time. That too. We have a shared folder in our in our Apple in our iPhone photos. I mean, we are such dorks. It's crazy. Mm. You're so blessed to have a relationship. Like I know. That in your life. I know. Really I don't are. take that for granted either. Yeah, for sure. And then for her too. Mm-hmm. Did she just? I mean, like, how did that conversation happen? Were you like, "Hey, girl, would you carry my baby?" Or it didn't even. I didn't even ask her. I mean, when we realized that those two eggs were, well, when he said we need to talk fertility, he also delivered the news in a kind of a manly fashion that I would yeah. not ever carry a baby. Mm. And so, so, you know, by get... manly, do you mean not that sensitively? <laughs> yes. Um, you know, just like without even skipping a beat, you know, he's mm-hmm. like, okay, good. Glad you have some eggs because you will not ever carry a baby. And I mean, Ouch. you know, some girls that's not, not so super important, but I just have, I, I loved watching my sister pregnant with Hunter. Mm-hmm. And um, I just always knew that I was going to carry a baby, but life <laughs> sometimes has other has other uh, ways of getting you there mm-hmm. so now you've got this gorgeous man who's hilarious uh-huh. and awesome and loving and you've got a gorgeous baby on the way you've got mm-hmm. this relationship with your sister and then you know what are you hoping for I mean how, where do you see yourself in the next 10 years you'll have a nine-year-old she'll oh be, he'll be talking back <laughs> He will. If he's anything like Hunter, my niece. Oh boy, those listening skills really change from like six to eight. Yes. Like they're my out husband the and I were talking about how we feel like twelve and thirteen is the worst because that's when they stop being little kids and think they they think they know everything mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. mom and dad are so stupid. Mm-hmm. And really we're finding like sixteen, seventeen, eighteen year old is our favorite because they have finally realized, oh, we've got it pretty nice. Yeah. And, you know, we have a car in the driveway. We have food in the refrigerator. Yes. Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly. We're trying to teach Hunter. You know, it's hard when you have, you're an only child. I will, Mm -hmm. I will say like, I don't think it's all Hunter's fault. You know, she's just been fawned over for Mm -hmm. nine years Mm -hmm. and you know, she thinks she's the center of our little family. And she, she really is. I mean, Brogan Mm -hmm. and I talk about okay, how are we going to do this maybe slightly different to show her that our relationship is the center? She's part of it, but, you know, our, our world doesn't totally revolve around her. I think it's a very, <laughs> I'm going to have to read a few books <laughs> to figure out how to do that. Yeah, it is interesting because we have a, a baby and um, there's a 10-year split between yeah. the youngest and the oldest. And so she thinks not only does she think she has two parents that the whole world revolves around her. She also has four siblings who the whole world revolves around her. And so she could go to Cooper's room and hang out in there and they dance together and play music and she can play his drums. Like she just rules the whole house. And so I can see how, you know, when she's 13, it's going to be a bit of a problem. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we have our work to have. Yeah, we have yeah. our work cut out for us. That's the good stuff. <laughs> That's the good stuff. I love it. Well, you well, maybe we you know this, but maybe you know whoever is listening doesn't know this. But Jenny and Justin, I put Jenny and Justin in their townhouse in Bucktown when Jenny was seven and a half months pregnant, uh-huh. and a year later, the townhouse next to her was available, and I moved into it. So Jenny and Justin and Hunter and I lived next door to each other for seven full years. 
Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't blame Hunter. I mean, no, he it's, literally it's mostly our fault. Village. Yeah. Yeah. She's been raised in a little village with two moms. Two moms, Brogan, <laughs> the fun uncle, dad, Justin. Like, I mean, it's just, oh, it yeah. must be nice to be her. <laughs> yeah. She's living her best life. A hundred percent. Well, I love your story. Of course, you know, I'm your biggest fan. I loved, loved, loved just watching everything that happened to you. That was so good. And, um, I know my husband who's never met you, he thinks he knows you because you know, I'll be laying in bed crying and he's like, what? And I'm like, look, look at, look at these wedding pictures. Oh my gosh, look, they're having a baby. I mean, it's just, it really is an incredible story. It's so redemptive and with everything that's been going on in the world, that's so important. I think it's also important. This is like, this segment for me will be my self-care because everybody needs a little self-care, a good yeah, story, yeah, something that's sure. just beautiful and bright and light and amazing. So that's what this is for me. Thank you so much, girl. This is so fun. I mean, this is my first podcast. I feel it is. honored. <laughs> yes. I feel super well, honored. You are amazing. You'll love it. So Thank you. Um, I'm going to, I'll stop the recording there, but what I wanted to have you help me do is with some hashtags. So yes. I've got in vitro and then is it called Glio? Glio. So it's so G-L- how, can you spell that? Yeah. Uh-huh. G-L-I-O. Uh-huh. B-O blastoma. B-L-A-S blastoma. And okay. then um, we always do team KBC with team yep. just like in lowercase and then all uppercase KBC. Okay. Team is all lowercase KBC. I've got sisters. I've got um, in vitro. We, I've we got... also call Jenny our surrogate. Okay, you know so, surrogate, but she's gonna be she's gonna be his aunt. So it's surrogate. <laughs> okay, surrogate. We'll spell it out so I make sure I have it right. So S U R R O G, surro, and then G A U N T. A-U-N. Perfect. I'm Surrogate. not sure I would win the spelling B, just FYI. Yeah, same, same. So favorite. I've also got having a baby. Um, I'm going to do late in life baby. Mm-hmm. Late in life baby, baby boy, uh, redemption. You could also do a lot of people will search for because like my for, my fertility, infertility doctor was specific to cancer. So she was my onco in onco fertility whatever so you could you could hashtag onco o-n-c-o onco infertility infertility okay gotcha anything else that you can think of like other things that your friends say i mean i'm really bad at hashtags i do like two and then i'm like huh yeah no time for that okay and then um, I've got your Instagram. I've got her Instagram. Um, anything else you want me to add on there? Gosh. Um, no, I think that's good. Um, Brogan's is B conk, C-O-N-K, seven, mm-hmm. if you want to be friends with Brogan. Okay. And, yep, yeah, got it. Okay. And then I'll hit you up with any other questions I have. If you could just like shower me with really I will like, photos now, the more, the better I can post up to 10 on my Instagram. So that's what I'll normally do is just okay. post 10 great ones and definitely one with you and sister's belly. 
Oh yeah. And um, yeah, just, I'm sure. I'll I'm sure you got over to stuff. you. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. Thank you for doing this of girl. Course. I really it was, appreciate it. It was very nice. Very nice to hear I'm, your voice. Yeah. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. Thanks. I All can't right. wait to hear send, this. <laughs> yeah. I'll send it to you. It'll probably be done by mm, maybe tomorrow morning. Oh, no rush. <laughs> and I'll put, push it over to you give a listen and then when you give me the thumbs up and I've got the pictures because yeah. uh, really it's not a very big podcast I don't have a whole bunch of listeners so what'll happen is is no one will listen to it yeah. until I stick it on my Instagram and then if you yeah. stick it on your Instagram sure. then we'll get okay, a lot of listeners perfect though okay, okay mama. Thanks, girl. Bye. I'll take talk to you later bye <laughs>